and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you once again for joining me here. If you haven't clicked subscribe or follow, go ahead and do so. I come out with new episodes every Wednesday morning for you guys to check out. Now on today's show, we got some good segments lined up. Uh, The first segment is going to be maximizing your morning routine. Yes, we all have to have a good, solid morning routine with our dog. Definitely a criteria in there that you have to meet. We're going to talk about it. And of course, some tidbits on how to make the most out of that time. We don't always have a lot of time in the morning, right? After that, we're going to have a segment on car shopping for you and your dog. Yeah, something a little bit different. Uh, you know, I just got a new vehicle myself, and it can be a little daunting of a task when you're trying to to find all the things that you want in a car, all the things your dog's going to need in a car, and we're going to talk more about that. Then comes the Breed of the Week and the Listener Q&A. If you guys have any questions for the Listener Q&A, keep them coming at me. Email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. Now, got to give you that trivia question, of course, before we get going here. And today's question is, what is a dog's normal body temperature? Yes, what is the normal temperature for a dog? I'll give you the answer to that question in the podcast today, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Speak a Dogcast, it's maximizing your morning routine. Now, we've talked about creating a good routine on this show before, and there's definitely a lot of episodes you can go check out. A Day in the Life of a Dog, that's a good one. Definitely want to check it out. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it, it's good to create a consistent routine with your dog. We all know routine is good, and routine can definitely create some comfort. And a routine obviously lets us make sure that we are getting everything we need to get done done. But a morning routine can be hard, right? Let's say you have kids. You've got to get kids out the door to school in the mornings. Uh, Maybe you've got to kick your spouse's butt out the door to get them to work in the morning. Um, There's a lot going on in the mornings. And so it's not necessarily the easiest time to take care of your dog. However, it's one of the most important times to take care of your dog. Your dog's been sleeping all night, right? And if you're heading to work, then your dog's most likely going to be sleeping most of the day unless they're not stimulated and exercise properly. So there's a lot of work that has to be done in the morning. I've talked about it before, and we're just going to kind of run through that routine real quick. Obviously, you know, all the things that need to be done. It's pretty obvious, guys. They got to relieve themselves, right? We want to make sure they have time to relieve themselves first thing, and then again before we leave at least two times, at least, right? Before you're leaving in the morning. Obviously, we're going to have to feed them. We need to be aware of exercising and feeding, right? We've talked about GDV. We've talked about bloat. We've talked about, uh, you know, waiting the proper amount of time in between exercise and eating. So we try to avoid GDV and bloat. Uh, Go Google that if you need some more information on that. We've talked about that a few times before, so we're not going to dive too deep into that. Um, But feeding time. And then, of course, the exercise time, guys. The exercise time, the walk. That's the most important part. But we can also add in play time. We can add in other types of exercise as well. Now, that's a lot of things. That's a lot of things to maybe fit in a very short amount of time. So how can we maximize this? You know, look, I I start by saying if if you're going to get a dog, if you have a dog, you're taking on a responsibility. I mean, you know that. We, We all know a dog, a pet, they are a responsibility. And it's our responsibility to make sure that they are the happiest and healthiest they can possibly be. Sometimes that means waking up 
extra early, okay? Honestly, that's where it starts. You, you, there's there's only so much we can do. There's only so many little tips I'm going to be able to give you that will maximize your routine. So at the end of the day, you have to wake up and give yourself enough time, you know? Look, my routine kind of changes all the... I mean, I wouldn't say it changes all the time. It's pretty consistent in the sense that we go for a walk every morning. Uh, I feed them. I have a routine and a uh, timing that I do. But some mornings I have appointments, some morning it's doggy day camp, some mornings, hey, maybe luckily for me, I have the day off. Not quite as often uh, as I'd like, but you know, sometimes I don't have appointments, but I'll have boot camp dogs. So my routine still stays relatively consistent, even though it can be malleable in change, um, depending upon what I have going on that day. And it's it should be no different with you guys. For the most part, I'm sure, especially if you have just a regular nine to five job, then that's pretty consistent. That's pretty consistent. And it's easier, I think, to maximize your, your routine when you have that consistency. For myself, I kind of have to adjust. I kind of have to slide it around and, and figure out what works. So that's 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 the first point is your routine is not going to be necessarily the same as mine and anybody else's, right? So we have to find different ways to maximize that routine. And it starts with understanding what your dog's needs are. How big is your dog? What breed is your dog? How much exercise does your dog really need? Having an understanding for that, guys, that's really going to be the building block for being able to maximize our time in exercising them, okay? Uh, If it's summertime, you know, it almost works to our advantage sometimes. If it's summer that it's hot out, (laughs) even first thing in the morning if you live in Florida and the dogs get a little tired faster, there's one way we can maximize it. Take advantage of the seasons. <laughs> yes, yeah, kind of silly, but true. Um, look, I find when I, you know, when I when I do my walks in the middle of summer, we we can't go as long, you know, and they get tired faster. So eh, take advantage of the elements. That's one small way <laughs> that we can kind of maximize. But all right, in reality, though, you know, one example is I, I do have I do have one morning and it's not all the time it's you know I, I have one morning routine in particular where my time is very limited okay so I'm going to give you what I do to maximize my time now I have a hobby that I like I like to golf <laughs> I'm a golfer and we like to golf early in the morning my golf buddies and I we do we like to get out there early to avoid the heat, to avoid the crowds, and to have the rest of the day, right? Golf doesn't take, you know, it takes a couple hours, so you want to be able to maximize the time the rest of the day. Hey, look at that. I golf early to maximize the rest of my time throughout the day. Um, that's what I have to do for myself. So we golf early. We're golfing sometimes at about 7, 7.15, teeing off, you know, at that time, which means I have to leave even earlier than that. So some mornings I'm walking out the door at 6.30, 6.45 um, when I'm going to golf, Now, if I'm leaving at 6.30 in the morning and I have to exercise and feed and all this stuff, that's a lot, okay? So lucky for me, my wife is amazing and she is a team player when it comes to working with my dogs and sometimes even client dogs. And I can get her to help me out with certain things, right? I've I've trained her and taught her enough and it could be no different in your household, right? I wanna get all the family members on board. That's where it starts, guys. That's going to be the best way to maximize our time with our dogs is having everybody play a part, everybody play a role in that morning routine. Because if everybody can do a little bit here, a little bit there, just think of how much more that's going to maximize the amount of time your dog's going to get in the morning. And then it gets individual time with each person in the family, and that's great. Someone can feed, someone can walk, maybe two people can go for two separate walks. Oh, wouldn't that be awesome, right? There's all these little things we can start doing. So if everybody in the household, family members, uh, if you have a roommate even, 
it would be great if they could jump on board and be a part of that, even if it's something that only takes two minutes, like feeding the dog. It can go a long way toward maximizing your time. So my golf mornings, guys, here's the other part. I'm waking up pretty early. <laughs> and sometimes there's only so much we can do to maximize. And at the end of the day, you're just you're just going to have to wake up early. You just got to get up. So look, if I'm walking out the door at 6.30, 6.45, I'm waking up at about 4.30. Yeah, 4.30 a.m., that's when I'm waking up if if I've got something early in the morning because I know it's going to take me at least two hours, at least two hours to do what I need to do for myself, you know, feed myself and shower and take care of my dogs. Now, especially, guys, um, my newest dog, right? My newest dog is a blue tick coonhound. I've talked about him before, Captain Nemo. He's got a lot of energy, a lot of drive. And if I don't go for that morning walk, he is not going to be a happy camper. He's a dog who needs a job, who needs something to do. And if I skip that morning walk, it's 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 detrimental to his training and his behavior. It is. So, you know, I've talked about the importance of a walk, so we're not going to hone on that. But I'm waking up extra early to make sure I can get him out and get him on a walk, exercised before I leave for golf. Because if I don't, he's going to be frustrated, and then I'm not doing my part as the responsible dog owner. Okay, my other dogs need to be walked too, but Nemo especially. Captain Nemo has got some energy to spare. <laughs> okay, so ideally, ideally it'd be great if I could take Nemo for a two-hour, three-hour walk. <laughs> really, I mean that's what he'd want to do if the weather would permit. Um, but that's not ideal on a golf morning. Other mornings I can get much longer walks in, and most of my other days I can, and that's awesome. But hey, every now and then I, I, I gotta have a day off. I gotta go do but I can't just ignore my dogs. So what can I do to maximize the walk in the morning? Backpacks. Yes, doggy backpacks, guys. Doggy backpacks are a great tool, a great tool to be able to give your dogs a little extra stimulation, a little extra exercise. Okay, first things first, when you put a backpack on a dog, most of the time, it zones them in. You know, it gives them a job and it gives them something to do. And it's incredible mentally what just putting the backpack on can do for them. Now, let's say we want to add some weight to that backpack, throw some water bottles in there. Well, now my dog's getting some extra exercise, right? Yeah, it's just like us. If we hike with weight on us, you're going to get tired faster. You're going you're gonna to be exercising more. So you can put some water bottles in there to maximize that walk, right? You, you could almost like go a 20 minute walk would be the equivalent of a 40 minute walk if they have a backpack on. So that's a wonderful way to maximize our walks first thing in the morning. Now, with that said, let's be careful with loaded down backpacks, guys. We don't want to put too much weight on a puppy. Most, you know, any dog under a year, year and a half, guys, really, you don't want to put too much weight. You can put an empty backpack on them, even that, even though it doesn't doesn't have the weight, but just putting them in that working mode. An empty backpack can go a long way towards zoning them in and mentally engaging them on that walk. So I highly recommend getting a backpack. Now, if your dog's a little bit older than that, they're not a puppy, their joints have grown. Again, the reason why, guys, is we don't want to put too much weight on them and stress out their joints as they're growing, right? So that's the reasoning behind not to do it. But once you have a full-grown dog, an adult dog, if you have a working breed, if you have a big dog, by all means, guys, throw that backpack on there. Give them a little something extra to do. And then not only that, they get to carry the water for the walk. So if you need some water on the walk for the pups, boom, it's already there. But the backpack, I can't stress it enough. What a great, great way to supplement the walk in the mornings. It can, it can, it can really add to it, okay? 
But we've got to go for that walk. I've said it a thousand times, so I'm just going to reiterate. There is no substitute for the walk, guys. Throwing a tennis ball, even swim time, play time, playing tug of war, all these things. They're great supplements. They're great physical uh, exercises, but they're not mental exercises, okay? Without a doubt, the walk is the most important aspect of it. So if we can get on that walk and then maximize it with the backpack, we're doing good stuff, okay? Now, like I said before, if we have multiple family members in the house, you could take your dog for a walk in the morning and then someone else can take the dog after you. You know, you've jumped in the shower, you're getting ready, they're out taking the dog for another walk. How awesome is that? Everybody can do a little bit here, a little bit there, and it adds up to a much larger picture. Really great way to maximize that routine, guys. Uh, If you can only fit 10, 20 minute walking, no problem. You get your 10, 20 minutes in and someone else comes in, takes over and does another 10, 20 minutes. Then maybe a third person comes in and before you know it, your dog's been on an hour long walk. How great is that? Okay. So those are great. Those are two phenomenal ways to maximize your time is split the walk up among your family members, amongst your family members and get a backpack on them. Okay. Again, be mindful of the weight on the backpack, please. Um, And you can also even just ask your veterinarian guys. They'll give you a better idea of your dog's breed. They'll know your dog, obviously. uh, And they'll tell you at what age they feel it's appropriate to start adding weight to a backpack. Okay. Um, But yeah, those are, those are, those are really important tips. I would say if you don't listen to anything else in this segment and only take away those two things, huge. Because the most important part is the walk, guys. I'll reiterate it one more time. The most important part of our training and our morning routine and maximizing it is making sure we're getting out on a good, healthy walk, right? Right and the wrong way to do the walk, make sure you're doing it the right way, right? So that's the that's the first and foremost way we can do it. Another thing is, yes, playtime structure. Look, something as simple as the way in again i'm just i'm i'm kind of i'm kind of reiterating a lot of points that come together in in ways that make us maximize our morning how you let your dog out of the crate right we've talked about this they should be sitting and staying they should be patient and then we release them out of the crate there's structure to it we're giving them mentally something to do when we go out the front door to let them go relieve themselves guess what sit stay then we're releasing them creating structure mentally engaging them giving them something to do breaking it down okay Feeding time comes around. What are we going to do? Sit, stay, make sure they're looking at you before you release them to their food. All these little ways that we can create structure, create routine. Believe it or not, guys, that really maximizes your training, your routine in the morning. If you just open the crate to the door and let your dog bolt, open the door and let them go outside, there's nothing to it. It's just it's just kind of your dog running through the motions. There's no control. There's no thinking. There's no thought process. Making your dog slow down and think goes such a long way for draining energy, creating fulfillment, and just making them a happier dog, okay? So maximize your routine by creating more structure, okay? Really important detail as well. You know, it's amazing. The morning is just, it's it's, it's amazing how important how important your morning routine is because it sets the tone for the day. You know, I said earlier in the segment, your dog's been sleeping all night, right? They've been doing nothing but recharging their batteries. And if you don't get that, that energy level down to a manageable level, when you leave the house, it's going to be out of control and your dog's going to be frustrated and that's not good. Okay. So I, I really implore you to think about different ways you can add and create structure in your household with how you work with your dog, any little bit of a sit and stay, a wait, uh, creating patience with your playtime, make a sit, stay, throw the toy, and then release them to get it. 
any extra structure you can add to your morning routine is actually going to maximize your morning routine. I know that sounds a little weird, but it's, it's so true, okay? So then, yeah, playtime. We talked about that just now. Let's let's talk about playtime. Why not, right? We went for a big walk. We're going to come back. Let your dog play. Let them have fun. Let them chase the ball. Get that extra energy out. Hey, if you have time in the morning, take them for a morning swim. Why not? Uh, I know we're getting into fall. It's getting a little chilly, so maybe be careful with that. Uh, all you northerners, as the pools get chilly, make sure your dog's okay with that. But uh, but yeah, there's all these different ways. So to me, it it's it's pretty straightforward and it's pretty basic, guys. Here it is. When you wake up, you need to have structure from the time you let them out of their crate to the time you let them out the door. Everybody in your house needs to be a participating member in this, whether they're taking the dog for a walk even only for 10 minutes or an hour, whether they're the one who feeds them in the morning, whether the you know your son takes them out, your daughter feeds them, and your other kid is the one who goes for the walk, and your husband does one more walk, and then you're the one who, I mean, you know what I mean? Think about it like this. Think about splitting these responsibilities up especially if you have a staggering uh, morning, right? Where not everybody leaves at the same time and you have like a four-hour window. Where if you have a four-hour window where everybody's waking up in your household and moving around and getting ready and leaving, that's four hours that your dog could be doing something with each person in that household. So start thinking of it like that, that you can maximize the amount of interactions, quality interactions, right, that we're having with our dog to drain them. I mean, that's the idea. We want to drain their energy. We want to give them stimulation, give them a job, give them something to do. Because once you all leave for the day, you know, Fluffy's home alone. What are they going to do? We want them to sleep. We want them to be relaxed. We want them to not worry that we're gone. And the best way you can do that is a good quality routine. Okay. Don't forget when we're doing that walk, guys, throw in that backpack. To me, that's a big way, again, safely. uh, But that's a big, big, big way to maximize your morning routine. At the end of the day, though, sometimes it does just require waking up a little bit earlier. You know, if you don't have a lot of people in your house and you don't have a lot of people to rely on with helping your dog, like even myself, it's me and my wife and and that's it. Um, And come tax season, my wife can't help. (laughs) She's an accountant and she's busy. So I'm kind of on my own during tax season and I get it. It can be tough. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of things to try to fit in. But you know what? Dogs are responsibility and they're our responsibility. So it's up to you. It's up to you to make sure you're doing everything you can to maximize this routine. Make sure you're waking up early enough, making sure you fit in everything your dog needs to create good fulfillment to maximize that routine in the morning before you leave for the day. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next up on Speak a Dog Cast, it's car shopping for you and your dog. 
Now, I was just in the market to buy a new car myself. Uh, got a car yesterday, actually. And if any of you guys out there, if you're anything like me, then your car needs are not only about you, right? They're also about your dog as well. Uh, yeah, even when I purchased a home, I wanted to make sure I had a pool, if I could, ideally, right? And luckily, we found a house with a pool. Um, and of course, you know, my dog needs are going to be larger than the average owner's. I, it's not just having a dog or two dogs. It's sometimes about 10 or 15 dogs. So I have to take that into consideration when I'm purchasing a new vehicle. Um, for me especially, you know, it's a work vehicle. It's a, it's a personal vehicle. It's going to be carrying my dogs, lots of client dogs. So I need a car that's going to be versatile enough and uh, can meet my needs, right? So you have to take into consideration, uh, consideration what your needs are in a car for yourself. And then on top of that, what your dog needs are. Now, there are how many different models of cars out there that could potentially fit a lot of people, I mean, there are just, there, there's so many to go through that I'm not just going to sit here and go through each, <laughs> each model. I'm going to kind of touch on a few a little bit because I want to, I want to maybe point out some things that maybe you wouldn't think about to look for, right? Maybe something you wouldn't think about that is going to be a need for your dog. Something small, maybe a small detail that goes a long way when you got a dog in your backseat. Okay. So I'm going to try to point out some, some, things that I look for in a vehicle for a dog. And we'll go through why I purchased the vehicle that I did, why I came to the conclusion I did for for my needs, for my dogs. Uh, and we're going to kind of go from there. So I will say the, the car that I had before I just bought my new vehicle was a minivan. It was a Chrysler minivan. And the vehicle I had before that was a Toyota minivan. And I look, guys, minivans are awesome. They get a bad rap, but they are awesome. Without a doubt, minivans are the most practical vehicles on the road. They really are, guys. They really are. And I think they come in number one. They come in number one for the best vehicle for dogs, okay? I know some people are going to go, David, it's a minivan. How can you say that? It's a mommobile. It's a soccer mom car. And you're not wrong, <laughs> but it doesn't have to be. Look, when I had my vans, I wore my man van badge proud. <laughs> no, but hey, look, Minivan, first and first and foremost, guys, because there is that stigma to a minivan, they tend to load them up with some great features and they tend to not be nearly as expensive as that big old uh, SUV. Look, you don't have to take my word for it. Go online right now and look at what a new Suburban is going to cost you. A new Yukon XL is going to cost you. Not a Yukon, a Yukon XL. Because if you want the same cargo space as that minivan, you got to go to the big... Yeah, that's how big a minivan is, guys. Some of them are even bigger uh, than a Suburban storage area. Believe it or not. So go online. Look at the price tag difference. I think you're going to be shocked what a loaded Yukon XL, a loaded uh, Suburban is going to cost versus a loaded Toyota Sienna, a loaded Honda Odyssey, a loaded Chrysler Pacifica. Go do the numbers and you will be pleasantly surprised. Uh, well, maybe not, that the minivan is a great option for dog owners. It is. It's a great option for moms. It's a great option if you want a practical vehicle that can haul a ton of stuff without a problem. And let's let's talk about the small subtleties of, of practicalities of having dogs in a minivan. How about the fact that the minivan is one of the lowest, if not the lowest, vehicles to the ground? 
not the rear, you know, not the rear tailgate, but those side doors, guys, it's such a low, uh, they're so low to the ground that it makes it so much easier for your dog to get in and out. Even if you have an older dog who maybe can't take steps well, a nice ramp on the side of a minivan makes that incline so low that it'll be simple and easy for your dog to get up inside there. So just that alone to me makes the minivan such a big selling point for dogs. Not to mention guys, a side, if you've, if you've ever loaded into a side door in a minivan and if you've ever loaded into a side door in a, in a Yukon or one of those big giant SUVs, you know, Without a doubt, the minivan's easier. It's wider. It's easier to, to put stuff in. You don't have a door getting in your way. Same thing with the dogs, you know? Um, my new vehicle, I will say, I'm, I'm gonna tell you what I got in a little bit, but I did end up with an SUV. And yeah, teaching a dog to jump up into the side of an SUV with the door in the way and trying to get them to go on the floor for, it's not as easy as a minivan. It's not. Now, some of you are going, well, David, if it's not as easy, why in the world did you get an SUV and not a minivan? I will tell you in a few minutes because I wish I could have bought a minivan. I'll be honest. I really wish I could have, but it didn't fully meet my needs. My needs have evolved a little bit in what I need in a vehicle, not just from the professional side, but from the personal side. Okay. So I think this is kind of a cool and important conversation because it may help you actually in your car search, maybe narrow this down faster because guys, I spent... I spent a while car hunting. I did. I, I knew it was going to come up a few months ago that it was going to be time um, because my car was getting a little older. The miles were getting up there and I need a reliable vehicle. I need a safe, reliable vehicle to guarantee to my clients uh, to be able to keep their dogs safe, to know it's not going to break down. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, I, I need a newer car. And I can't, I can't just keep racking up miles on it as much as I would have loved to. Um, no car payment is a wonderful thing when you know you've had the car for a few years, obviously. Um, but yeah, you know, it, 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 it was time. So okay, so let's 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 get into it. So why didn't I buy a minivan? Now again, I'm not going to talk about every single car and every single model, but let's let's just start with Toyota right now. The Toyota Sienna, right? Great minivan. Toyota, look, Toyota's a great car. It's a wonderful car. It's, it's not a secret, guys. It's one of the most reliable vehicles out on the road. That's, that's not an opinion. That's just statistics. So from that standpoint, I love Toyota. I want a reliable car when I'm hauling my dogs. Uh, just as you want a reliable car if you're hauling your kids, right? So uh, it's a great option. But, but, oh goodness. In my opinion, Toyota went and absolutely ruined their minivan. Okay, I, I'm sorry. This is just my my humble opinion, but I do think Toyota really did themselves a disservice by the new design of their minivan. I believe this started on the 2020 models. If you're familiar with minivans, right, you have three rows of seats. You have the front seats, you have the middle seats, which are usually captain's chairs, and then you have a back row. Now we all know the back row folds into the you know, folds into the ground. And on some minivan models, like the Chrysler and Dodges, the, the captain's chairs will fold into the bottom of the of the minivan and it creates a huge flat surface and a huge storage area huge cargo area i can fit probably three dog beds four dog beds depending on I mean, big dog beds uh in a minivan like that right however toyota on their newer models decided let's just leave the captain's chairs bolted in there and you can flip them forward and push them up against the front seats but you can no longer remove them now in doing this in doing this, Toyota just took their vehicles from 144 cubic feet of space all the way down to 101. Did you hear me? 
They took their minivans. The, the point of a mini. What's the point of a minivan, guys? Storage space, convenience, practicality, everything you would want to look for for a car for your dog. And what did they do? They took convenience and practicality and, well, instead of throwing it out the door, they left it in the van and put it in the way. <laughs> so now when you're loading in from that nice wide side door, you just lost half of the space to load in because you have a seat in the way. Come on, Toyota. What are you thinking? Why are you ruining your minivan and making it less of a minivan? That's just silly. They lost a customer in me. They did, unfortunately. That's why I couldn't buy the van. Because when you start going to the mid-size to mid-large SUVs, we're not even talking suburban. We're talking like a Ford Explorer. Uh, if you want to go luxury in, even the Acura MDX. Um, Genesis, their new SUV, the GV80, has 84 cubic feet of space. That's not much less, and that's just it. All these cars, uh, the Toyota, the 4Runner, the Sequoia even, they're all sitting right around somewhere between 80, 85 to 100 cubic feet of space. So I ask, why am I going to get a minivan, <laughs> which kills half the practicality reasons of me getting that minivan when the SUV's doing the same job, you know? Um... And for my needs, I need a more rugged vehicle. I need something a little higher off the ground. We're going to be doing more mountain driving, my wife and I, with our dogs. And I need that clearance, too, you know. Um, so there are a few ways that the minivan can, can miss out. And unfortunately, that's where Toyota missed out. Now, really quick, also with these new minivans, guys, they put a hybrid engine in them. They're getting 36 miles to the gallon. Uh, and Toyota is the only minivan on the market that offers an all-wheel drive option. So that's why I couldn't buy the Honda Odyssey because the Honda Odyssey minivan doesn't come with an all-wheel drive option. Honda, you're killing me. Um, <laughs> Toyota, Honda, what are you guys doing with your minivans? Come on. Uh, but look, Honda, I don't know if they've ever offered a four-wheel drive or all-wheel drive option, but it's, if they ever did, it's been a long time since they have. Okay, so this was my conundrum right? I need all-wheel drive, but I need space. I'm not going to buy a minivan if it's ruining the practicality and taking away the space. That just seems silly to me. Hence, the Sienna went out the door. Can't buy the Odyssey because I need all-wheel drive on my vehicle. Odyssey's not going to cut it, all right? So just kind of right off the bat there, I know what my needs are with my dogs. Now, let's talk about a couple other small subtleties. Toyota Highlander, and they're not the only one. There's other brands, SUVs out there who have this <clears throat> small problem, in my opinion. When you fold seats flat, in an SUV, I, I th look, this, maybe it's just me. I want a completely flat and flush surface. I want my dogs to be able to walk around, lay down comfortably and not have a huge gap anywhere. For example, the Highlander, when you fold the seats down, the front seats and back seats have a six, almost six inch gap between them. So your dog's walking around the back seat and all of a sudden, bloop, Paw slips through that six inch gap and before you know it, they're up to their chin because their paw has fallen all the way through. I mean, come on. Like, that's just so silly to me. Or let's go from the practical side of just me hauling stuff. If I want to slide a box into my car, I can't slide it in past that lip without going in around from the side and lifting the box over the lip. And then, come on, guys, where's the practicality in these vehicles? So the Highlander was out for me. Okay. 
So, oh man, it's, it's incredible how much time you have to spend really analyzing this stuff. And again, look, my needs are more specific. If you have one dog in your car, then yeah, maybe he'll lay in the back all comfortable. But when I have a bunch of dogs back there, they're going to move around a bit or they're going to need to lay where that gap is. And that's a problem for someone like me. So maybe your needs maybe aren't as specific, but maybe they are. Maybe you don't, maybe you want that area to be flat so your dog doesn't fall through. Uh, you know, I don't know. Um, but yeah, those are those little subtleties that maybe you hadn't thought about. Now, of course, guys, there's all kinds of great options on other on, on cars now, especially the minivans, the hot, uh, Honda Odyssey. They offer a vacuum in there. Man, I wish I had a vacuum in my car to vacuum up all that dog fur, you know? Um, sometimes the dogs make a mess when you give them treats or maybe they had a bone back there. They made. Boy, that's a handy thing to have, isn't it? Nice to have the vacuum built into the car. <clears throat> so there's there's a lot of great options out there. Now, I also looked at um, Hondas, Toyotas, Nissans, Acura. I test drove a Genesis GV80. I was kind of all over the board on what I really wanted to look at and where my budget and price range, range was, of course. That as well was very important. Um, and there's just, you know, there's a lot of great vehicles on the road. However, if any of you have been car shopping recently... You probably had a similar experience to me in that, and we all know it, the inventory, guys. The inventory is just gone right now. I have never, and I mean, probably nobody's really experienced it, where you walk into a car dealership, and first of all, I've never seen uh, salesmen not hungry before. <laughs> Cars, when do you ever see a car salesman not hungry? When there's no inventory, and that's what's happening right now. Uh, there's no inventory. There's nothing for them to sell, so what are they getting excited about, right? Um, but yeah, these parking lots are empty. It was crazy. So here I am. I'm trying to walk in to these dealers. I'm trying to test drive uh, these different models and see if I like them. And I can't even test drive, test drive half the models I'm trying to find because they're, they're not there. They're sold out. Used, new, didn't matter. They have no cars on their lots. It's crazy. Or should I say very few? So, you know, I, I was looking at the Honda Pilots. I was looking, I was kind of, you know, again, the Odyssey, while it was pretty much out for the all-wheel drive, I, I wanted to take a look at, couldn't even take a look at one. They didn't even have any. <laughs> so the car buying experience this time around was a little unlike uh, a car buying experience I've had in the past. So let's talk about the car that I did end up getting. Now, again, I'll, I'll reiterate, I wish I could have gotten the minivan but it just wasn't going to meet my needs, okay? We could also talk about the Chrysler Pacifica, but same thing, no all-wheel drive, as well as the redesigned, uh, you know, that used to be the town and country, redesigned into the Pacifica. The Pacifica is also a little smaller than the than a Toyota, than a Honda minivan. Um, so that wasn't necessarily going to work for me. Uh, so there's all these different needs, right? So, okay, so what car did I end up with? Drum roll, please. No, okay. Uh, <laughs> I actually ended up buying a Honda Passport. I was very surprised. I was very surprised I ended up going with a Honda Passport. Wasn't even on my radar. Um, but it's a great car. It really is. Now, of course, I think when you're car buying, it's kind of hard to find the ideal, perfect vehicle. I think you're always going to make some compromises. And, you know, that's that's just it. If I had gone with the Toyota, I would have had to compromise space. I would have had to compromise loading and unloading. I would have had to compromise a little engine power with a hybrid engine that's now in them. If I'd gone with the Honda Odyssey, I'm compromising no all-wheel drive. Um, so, I, I think it's hard to find the perfect vehicle if you have a lot of needs like myself. So sure, I compromised on the fact that I don't have a minivan anymore. It's higher off the ground. 
But you know what? I'm going to buy a dog ramp. We're going to buy a ramp. Not a big deal. It's how we used to deal with it when I had a Honda Pilot years ago. Um, you know, put a dog ramp and that's it, no problem. Fits right in the car easily. Okay. But I love this car so far. Now, like I said, I just got it yesterday. I haven't been driving it long, but it's smooth. It's quiet. Look, I'm not trying to plug Honda. I'm just plugging the car that I bought <laughs> because I liked it. It's as simple as that. I'm not getting anything from this. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to let you guys know, you know, as a dog person, I found it a great vehicle. There's great options to put liners on the back of the seats and they, they auto trifold with the seats. So the, the plastic liner will stay up and down to protect it from dog, you know, dog everything, fur, claws, you name it. Uh, and the interesting thing about the Honda Passport, guys, it's actually the same engine and same build as the Honda Pilot. So it's going to offer that same power. It's got a great engine, V6 3.5 in it, all-wheel drive. I'm loving it so far. Uh, put a couple of the dogs in it. Yes, it's definitely going to be a little more snug than my minivan. But you know what? We're going to make it work. Uh, I've got ways in, 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 uh, that I can, you know, it's, it's, it's big enough. It's actually a very big vehicle. You look at it on the outside and you're like, man, that doesn't look very big. And then you open it up and it's like, whoa, there's some space in here. <laughs> so we can be, we can tether dogs to seats. They make great seatbelt buckles, as I've talked about in the past on road tripping with your dogs. You can listen to that segment. A uh, great segment on how to, how to set your dog up for success in the car, but you can tether them safely. And you know what? It's it's just going to be an awesome car. I'm really excited to take some mountain adventures in it, really test it out. And of course, this week will be the first week that I have doggy day camp uh, using this vehicle, not using a van in a long time. So uh, it's going to really get the test. <laughs> we'll take some on me. You know, maybe I'll try to snap some pictures of all the pups in there and everything. Um, but yeah, I went with the uh, the Honda Passport. And I'm actually very, I mean, again, I was pleasantly surprised at what a great vehicle it is. We all know Hondas are, are reliable vehicles. Uh, I was lucky enough to find a Honda with, with or excuse me, find the Passport with the Touring Edition. Definitely got some fun bells and whistles and some fun features in it. Um, so go check it out. I think they're great vehicles. But honestly, guys, runner-ups, you know, the Nissans are great. What a great car. My wife owned a Nissan a few years ago, and we absolutely loved it. You know, that's the thing about cars nowadays there really isn't such thing, such a thing as a horrible vehicle anymore, right? I mean, you couldn't say that necessarily 30 years ago, maybe even not 20 years ago, um, but there's really no such thing as a bad car. But I think there are some cars, some vehicles that are better than others in general, but are better than others for dog owners. Now, we also have seen some of these concept cars. I wish someone would make it. They, uh, was it, I think it was Honda a couple years ago that did this cool concept car for dog owners, and it had a built-in ramp that actually slid out the back. It was a big SUV, so the ramp was built into the car and slid out the trunk, out the back, or excuse me, out the tailgate, uh, below the tailgate and the bumper. So cool. They had the built-in vacuum. Um, I think there might have been, maybe there was a cooler built-in, so you can keep cool water in there for them. There, you know, if, if I was building my ideal dog vehicle, I would have some sort of dog bowl uh, holder built in somehow, especially in an area where maybe it's lined by like some waterproof liners, you know, so the splashes don't go everywhere. Again, these are things I like look at when I'm looking at a car going, okay, where am I going to give them water? Is it going to splash? Is it going to, you know, is it going to get on the cloth? Is there any way to avoid that? Um, also, a side note, I personally think leather is a better option for dogs. You know, um, 
excuse me, from a practicality standpoint, it's not better for dogs. <laughs> it's better to have a car full of fur with leather than it is cloth because that fur is just going to cling to the cloth. Um, so if you can find leather or a leatherette, I highly recommend that. And I know some people go, well, David, they're going to scratch up the seats. They're going to maybe, but you know something, uh, I didn't really have a problem with it. Even in my old, my, my, my old minivans, I never had a problem with dogs putting holes in seats or anything, but they make these great seat liners. Now, you know, the seat liners that'll go over and protect your seats and you can do that. And still, even with that seat liner, if you don't have leather and you have cloth in it, the fur is just going to be a magnet to it. So I highly recommend trying to get leather if you can. Uh, but with the inventory availability now, guys, if you're shopping, Good luck to you. It, it's a battle zone out there. Um, it, it definitely took some work. I thought it would be at least a month before I found a car because of, of how slim pickings it was. But luckily, found a great Honda dealership. That passport was the only one on the lot, guys. I mean, that's how slim pickings it is. Uh, but I'm very happy so far with my purchase. And I'll give you another update, maybe in an episode or two, and tell you how it's going. Hey, maybe I'll hate it in two weeks. <laughs> I doubt it. But who knows? Um, or maybe, hey, uh, I don't. I hope I. You know, I, I'll give you the update on what I think of the vehicle and how it's working for myself and my dogs. Um, but again, there are those subtleties to think about. Are there gaps between the seats for my dog's foot to go in? How high is this car off the ground for my dog? Am I going to need a ramp? Uh, do I need an all-wheel drive feature to keep my animal safe? Are there a lot of tie-down options to be able to tether my dog or tie down a crate so I can safely transport my dog? These are all little questions you really should be asking if if you travel a lot with your dog. If you go hiking with your dog and you take your dog on road trips in your car, your car, your vehicle, you should definitely be taking your dog, dog into consideration with that. So, you know, like I said, I didn't want to run through too many cars today and spend too much time on the car stuff, but it is very important. It is very important, I think, at least, and especially for myself. And with all the options that there are out there, you know, there's a lot to choose from. Now, I didn't even talk about Subaru. Subaru is another, actually, really, guys, a fantastic car company. Their cars are rugged. They're meant for travel. Um, so you can take a look at that as well. They were a little small for my needs. Um, but hey, not everybody has five dogs. <laughs> so maybe if you just have one or two dogs, you don't have a big family, uh, Subarus can be a fantastic option as well because they do offer some power, some all-wheel drive. And of course, we all know they actually, they, they really are. They're one of the most reliable vehicles on the road as well. Um, so it, there's just that's just it. There's too many options to list. There's too many things. But make sure you're taking your needs and your dog's needs into consideration when you're shopping for your next vehicle. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the Boceron. Now, the Boceron is a member of the herding group, and they come in anywhere from 70 to 110 pounds. A powerful, smart, but gentle dog, the Boceron is a remarkable breed that can make a great herding dog and a great watchdog. This breed is not for everybody, as they are known to be an assertive and independent breed. They are a working dog and have a powerful drive to do just that work. Yes, they make an excellent watch and guard dog, but if the Boceron is not getting enough exercise, they can become frustrated. Daily walks, herding drills, and agility are necessary things to keep this breed happy and healthy. These dogs have also been known to participate in carting and mushing as well. Without proper training, the Boceron can become pushy with people, and they're known to jump on people and grab people with their mouths, so 
proper training and socialization is an absolute must. There are a few health issues to be aware of. They can be prone to hip issues, heart disease, eye problems, and some allergies. Also, as with all large breed dogs, owners should be aware of GDV, also known as bloat. Kept in good health, though, the Boceron can live to be 10 to 12 years old. Now, the Boceron's origins is actually from France, where they were a, developed as a herding shepherd dog, and they get their name from the agricultural region southwest of Paris. Now, also known as the Berger de Bousse or the Bas Rouge, this breed can be has been around since the Middle Ages. They have held a wide variety of jobs, you know, from herding to guard dog, rescue dog, soldier, bodyguard, and more. Now, Beaucerons and Briards are actually the names of two types of French herding dogs that were identified in the 19th century. The dogs started being shown, well, somewhere around the 1860s, and in 1896, authorities attempted to classify these dogs. The name Beauceron was given to the dogs with shorter coats, and Briards was the name given to the dogs with the longer coats. The development of the breed has led to some cool characteristics, and speaking of cool, these dogs remain cool and collected while working. Now, they go about their herding duties silently, unlike some of their other shepherd cousins. The Boceron keeps a distance while also keeping control. Now, this breed was used in World War I and has an extensive history of working with police and military. The Boceron is not really very well known outside of France, but in France and some other parts of Europe, they are quite a popular breed. And the AKC recognized the breed in 2007. Next on Speaky Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. First question today comes from Richard from New York. Richard asks, is it okay to give dogs people food? Now, Richard, I did a segment on this uh, quite a few episodes back, and uh, you know I probably should have looked this up before I answered this question, but <laughs> the segment is somewhere in there. Go take a look at the podcast. <laughs> You'll find it. Um, but no, is it okay to give dog people food? Look, uh, if you're asking me, is it okay to give dog people food, you can't just say yes or no to it. Because here's the thing, what kind of people food, how often, in what context are you giving it to them? Those are all the questions I would ask. And then the other thing is, at the end of the day, I think giving people food to a dog is sort of a preference, sort of. Um, <laughs> you know, it's your own personal preference. As I've said in the past, if you want to give your dog people food, fine. If you want your dog to beg constantly and bark and demand at you and demand at your guests, by all means, give them people food. You can teach a dog to take people food and not beg. It is possible. But guys, I got news for you. Most people don't even train their dogs to, to, to go on a walk on a leash correctly. You really think they're going to spend the time to, to, to provide the correct context and teach it? No. No, they're not. I'm sorry. It's just, it's not going to happen. So I, I personally say, no, you should not give dogs people food because it eliminates the chances of, of the begging happening. Now, if you're going to give people food, I'll at least give you these handful of tips if you're going to do it. First of all, don't ever do it while you're eating food. Second of all, don't ever give it to them while you're in the kitchen. Third of all, always give it to them only in their food bowl. And that way they're not associating food with anything else. And the other thing is wait some time. If you've been eating dinner and you want to give them a piece of the leftovers, wait an hour till after you're done eating. Dinner's put away. You've moved on. 
That's when your dog's not paying attention. That's when I'd randomly take it and go put it in their bowl. Again, so they're not associating food in the kitchen, food in you eating, and then the begging is less likely to happen. Most people don't have the discipline <laughs> to really train it that way. And I'm sorry, that's just the reality of it. It just is. Um, so, you know, should you feed your dog people food? I, look, I, personally, it's up to you. I will occasionally feed my dog a piece of a banana, right? On the very even more rare occasion, I'm talking maybe once in a blue moon, a tiny, 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 tiny piece of bacon. But again, my dogs don't beg. I do it in a way when they're not really paying attention. I give it to them, they take it, they put their head back down and they go back to sleep, you know? Uh, it's not a big deal in my household. And even then, I'm not giving them, I, I, guys, I couldn't even tell you, like off the top of my head, couldn't even tell you the last time I gave my dog a piece of banana, people food, whatever. Uh, I couldn't tell you because that's how little I do it because I don't really believe in doing it. That's just my personal thing. So I, I kind of hope that answers your question in a roundabout way there. Next question. This comes from Nala from Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Nala says, my dog won't stop barking at my other family members. He loves me and nobody else. He terrorizes them constantly. I tell him no, but he doesn't listen. What can I do to get him to stop barking? Okay, well, first of all, Nala, look, I, I, I don't want to burst your bubble, but when you say my dog loves me, he actually is possessive over you is what this is. I wouldn't exactly call that love. Um, I'm sure he loves you, don't get me wrong, but that behavior that you're seeing is a possessive behavior. He's possessive over you and he thinks he owns and rules you. And unfortunately, that is not a healthy behavior and not something we want. Now, obviously, you want that behavior to change. You know that. Um, but how do you get to stop? You've got to discipline your dog. You've got to provide some structure. And unfortunately, saying no, saying no is not really anything. Unless you've paired some form of punishment, some form of stimulation, some form of you know, the dog works to avoid it. We've talked about what the definition of punishment is on this show. It's not necessarily anything horrible. It's anything an animal works to avoid. Okay. And for some reason, your dog, and again, I can't, I can't read your dog's brain. I don't know what led up to this behavior happening and being exhibited in this way. But by the rules of, of psychology, your dog is actually avoiding your family members, right? Really quick, we're going to talk on touch, touch on fight and flight. Fight and flight behaviors, guys. Both of them are what we call avoidance behaviors. Fight is, I want you to go away. Flight is, I'm going away, right? Either way, we're avoiding it, okay? So they're both what we call avoidance behaviors. So your dog is actually trying to avoid your family members by going, whoa, 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 and trying to get them to go away, okay? They're practicing an, an, an aversion to it right? They're displaying an aversion to your family members. Therefore, by definition, your family members are a form of punishment to the dog. Believe it or not. Yeah. Okay. Because this is how this stuff works. So what we have to do is teach him that that behavior, that display doesn't work. It's a little easier said than done. It's a little hard to just explain in a quick answer Q&A. Um, honestly, this is, you know, this is something a little more in depth. You should definitely get with a behavior specialist or a trainer in your area. Or, of course, we'll talk more. Uh, I'll email you back here. We'll chat. You can also do some virtual training with me. And then I can, you know, you, you would take some video. Uh, anybody out there, if this is something you have going on, you know, you're going to take video of it. I'm going to watch what's happening just as I would if I'm in person doing sessions. Uh, and then we go from there creating a plan on how we fix it. So I can't give you the most black and white answer, but the easiest way is more structure, more rules, more discipline, more 
exercise for your dog, right? Uh, if you're the one feeding him, we should be letting everybody else try to feed him in a controlled way. That's one way we can do it. But there's more to it than that. Uh, that black and white. So that's that's a little bit of a harder question today, and it's not as easy to answer. So really, I think you need to get with a professional there, Nala, and make sure you're doing the correct things because you don't want to be doing the wrong things and inadvertently making your issue worse. So definitely get with a professional to work on fixing those behaviors with your dog. The answer to today's trivia question, what is a dog's normal body temperature? It's between 101 and 102.5 degrees Fahrenheit and 38.3 and 39.2 degrees Celsius. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. I want to say a very special thank you to all my loyal listeners out there. I greatly appreciate all the subscribers, all the support we've had so far. We're coming up on a year doing this podcast. I'm really excited. Some great news will be coming out in the next few weeks, so be sure you guys stick around. Follow me on Instagram at Speak Dogcast. Have a wonderful week, and don't forget, get out there and walk your dog. (laughs) 